you have your Bibles, open those up to Matthew 12. And as you turn to Matthew 12, verse 1, I'm going to read for us all the way through verse 8. It's on page 792 in your pew Bible. Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. And we're in our second week of our sermon series called Sabbath Reboot. Let me read for us this gospel account from Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He, this is Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here." But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's Word. Let's pray before we dive into this. God, we confess that we need you. And maybe we even need to hear the confession that we need you because some of us perhaps gather in this moment not even realizing the deep need that we have to rest, to find a rhythm that is sustainable, to find a rhythm of thriving. So God, would you use this word with the power of your spirit illuminate our hearts and our minds to help us see this rhythm of life that you've invited us into. We thank you for this time that we can gather. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. So if you missed last week, we started a brand new sermon series on Sabbath and I took the entire time to focus on work and I made the point that we can't understand true rest until we understand true work. And on the flip side, as we dive into rest, I'm going to say right from the get-go that it actually, it takes a lot of work to truly rest. You see, we can't just downshift out of a busy day into true rest. You know exactly what this is like. Just because you drop your kids off at school and you have a couple hours to kill doesn't mean that all of a sudden, ah, I'm at peace. Just because you wrap up a Monday through Friday job and start driving home and just because you get into your home doesn't mean... Ah, I can now rest. Just because you go on vacation, get off the plane, check into your hotel room, and then sit by the pool, doesn't mean that necessarily you will then, ah. You see, there's rest, and there's deep rest. Sleep experts will tell us that there's sleep, and there's deep sleep. They say that you need on average about eight hours of sleep, but if you string together eight one-hour naps throughout the day, 
You'll never get the opportunity to enter into a deep sleep, a REM sleep, in the same way that if we just naturally think that by just stopping work or just, you know, kicking back and watching the game or putting on some music that we like or, or making a meal or getting a drink that we like, just because we do those things doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to enter the deep rest that God longs for us to have. You see, there's a rhythm that God has designed for humanity in which to live. And one of the keys of that rhythm is not only work, but it is also rest. And in fact, one of the Ten Commandments that God gave God's people, that God gave us, was to keep the Sabbath, to remember the Sabbath. You can read about it in Exodus 20. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 5. There's this key that we need to rest. And God's original intent for rest was for life. But over time, like many things, we turned it into a law. And in fact, there were 39 different types of work that were identified as being work that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And in fact, over the millennia, different teachers added on more things, more laws, more stipulations, so that there were thousands of things that you could not do on the Sabbath. It wasn't about life anymore. It wasn't about rest. It was about keeping the law so that you could appear righteous. And Jesus comes along and he does something that was one of the 39 things that you could not do. He took a little piece of grain, he broke the top, and he began to eat. And he's accused of breaking the Sabbath. And he reminds us of the heart of why we need this rhythm. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look. In verse 3, he responds on page 792 in your pew Bible. If you have a mobile device, we're in the New Revised Standard Version. This is Matthew 12, again, verse 3. Jesus responds to their accusation that they have just broken the law. It is the Sabbath. It is between sundown on Friday and sundown on Saturday. They have now just broken the law. They have broken the Sabbath. And these leaders... So legalistic, they accuse Jesus, and Jesus responds, and he says, he said to them, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? This is an exact reference. If you want to make a note, you can read it later in 1 Samuel 21. He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. So if you go back and you read 1 Samuel 21, you see that David, King David, is on the run. You know, David and Goliath. David's on the run. And he's trying to flee from his enemies. And he gets to the temple. He goes inside. There's nothing else to eat. And he asks for food. And the only food that they have is what's called the bread of presence. Now, this was a bread that resided in the temple, and it represented God's presence. And it was part of a ceremonial law. It was part of how the nation of Israel worshipped. And at that moment, there is a foreshadow, there is a key, because David asked for food, and the priests actually do what is unlawful. They give this bread of presence to David and his companions to eat. They're not chastised for it. They're not accused of wrongdoing. And David, who's this hero to the Jewish leaders, Jesus says, look at him. He ate bread. 
He, he broke the Sabbath, and he wasn't accused for it. And in fact, Jesus ends that section, he says in verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the only time that Jesus says that he is the Lord of anything. That's key. Do you realize that? That Jesus is saying that I, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, you've got to understand what Jesus is not doing. And to get through all of that to see what he is actually doing. At first blush, it looks like he is taking something and he's casting it aside. Saying, oh yeah, you know that part of the law? It's too legalistic, let's just forget about it. And it's easy for some of us as Christians, as modern people, as people living in the 21st century, as people who love the New Testament but kind of get confused of the Old Testament, we might say things like, gosh, that's so legalistic. Jesus has come to, to get rid of the law. Oh, but Jesus didn't say that. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. He's not downplaying the Sabbath. He's not reducing it to nothing. But what he's saying is, is that the Sabbath regulations that all the people have built up existed to point to me. Jesus is saying, you will never find your rest, your true rest, your deep rest until you find it in me. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, talks about this, that we need to enter into his rest. And let me just pause there and say this, that every single one of you, myself included, is restless apart from God. That we will actually, we will never find true rest in a vacation. We will never find true rest in retirement. We will never find true rest when we have a certain amount of money, when we have a certain amount of accolades, when we have a certain job. We will never find rest in all these things because Jesus says, if you want to find your true rest, you've got to find it in me because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of rest. I am the one who can only provide you the thing that you long for that you don't even know how you're looking for it. Jesus says, all, all of you come to me who are heavy and weary and I will give you rest. What's so amazing is what Jesus does on the cross. Isn't it true that he is absolutely restless? That he is in anguish. He is crying out in pain. In fact, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I got a question for you. You know, some of you are in the 901. I can't hear you too well, so I need you to yell a little loud. And if you're online, you got to yell even louder. I don't know how far you are, but especially here in the sanctuary. How would you finish this, this phrase? There is no rest for the... Oh, wait, well, hold. Yeah, what? Let, let, let's do that again. There is no rest for the... Excuse me? Wicked, weary? Oh. Oh, interesting. We both finished that sentence differently. There's no rest for the weary, no rest for the wicked. Which one is it? In fact, in Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 57, it's the origin of that phrase. It says that there is no rest for the wicked. But over time, over the centuries, over the millennia, we've kind of changed that and it's almost become part of our culture that we use the phrase, there's no rest for the weary. Well, of course there's no rest for the weary because they're weary. 
That's like saying there's no joy for the unhappy. Yeah. The origin of that is that there is no rest for the wicked. And the truth of what Scripture says is that all of us, apart from God, are wicked. I'm wicked, you're wicked. There's things that we want to do that we don't do. There's things that we don't want to do that we still do. There's things that we look at others and say, I can't believe they just did that. And then an hour later, we do it. And somebody else is pointing at us and said, I can't believe you just did that. Well, I, I mean, I had good motives. Because the heart of all of us is broken. And the amazing thing of what Jesus did on the cross is that he became wickedness for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, who lived a perfect life, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is what it means to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, to find your ultimate rest in him. That all the perfect record, all the things that God said about his son, behold, this is my beloved son, my child. With him I'm well pleased. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that when God looks at you, no matter what you've done, no matter the work that you've accomplished or not, no matter what your reputation is, no matter how much you have in your bank account, God looks at you and says, ah, behold, my beloved child, you are my prized possession. You see, the deep rest can only be found if you remember who God is and who you are. And we talk so much about remembering the Sabbath, but let me, let me turn that phrase on its head to help you with this. It's more about Sabbathing to remember. That we need to enter a rhythm of life that is about remembering who God is and who we are. And that's the point of the Sabbath. In fact, if you look in Exodus 20, it actually says, remember, remember, remember. In fact, the word remember outnumbers the word believe five times to one. The word remember outnumbers the word trust two to one. When we forget who God is, when we forget who we are in Christ, we become dismembered. We become disenfranchised to who we are. We become absolutely restless. And when we fail to remember who we are in Christ, when we put our faith and trust in him, and God looks at us and says, you fit, you're, you're done. You don't have to earn my love. You don't have to, to do these good deeds. You rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When we know that, then we can have a deep rest underneath all of it. Because without it, we will be like one of the characters in Chariots of Fire. Remember that film? I think one of the only films about the Sabbath in the last 50 years. There's two characters, one of them, he is running to justify his existence. He says, I've got, I've got 100 meters, and in those 9 to 10 seconds, I run, and I've got to justify my existence. It's this restlessness. He is trying so hard through his work that he can't even rest. Even when he gets the gold medal, it's still not enough. He gets the gold, and he can't believe he's gotten what he wanted, but he still can't rest. But the other character, oh. He so rests in who God says he is that he, he doesn't even have to run on the Sabbath. Not because he's being legalistic about it, but because he knows that the gold medal isn't going to make him more loved in God's eyes. That the gold medal isn't going to give him more security. 
That you getting the job that you want isn't going to give you more peace and more joy. That your kids actually getting the grades that you hope for them to get isn't going to make you more satisfied. If you can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that there is this deep rest that happens underneath all of it. Now, I want to present to you some very, very practical things. Let's call them the first or two postures of the heart and mind. And then I want to talk about three practices that you can begin to become a Sabbathing people. To not just remember the Sabbath, but to Sabbath to remember who God is and who we are. The first, the first posture is this, that we need to remember that we need to take the time. You see, when we don't take the time, when we're too busy, when we're too hurried, when we're always responding to email, when we're always on the go, when it's here and there and everywhere, and we don't have time for anything, then we don't take the time to remember that we have been rescued. Open those Bibles back up to Deuteronomy 5. I can't believe I did my entire doctorate on one word, the word remember. That was a lot of years on one word. And I love this passage when I stumbled upon it. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, it says this. Page 142 in your pew Bibles. Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 5, 15, it says this. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is designed so that you would remember that you have been rescued. The nation of Israel very quickly forgot that they had just been rescued. For 430 years, they were slaves in Egypt. Every single day, every single day, there was no day off, there was no vacation, there was no study leave every single day for their entire lives. Generationally, they were slaves in Egypt. They were laying bricks again and again and again, over and over and over. It was never ending. And as soon as they were rescued, as soon as they were brought out of Egypt, they quickly forgot how bad they had it. And they wanted to go back. They were complaining in the wilderness and said, oh, remember all the food that we ate? You see, it's so easy when we forget that we've been rescued to not only take for granted the fact that we have been rescued, but we look around and see the things around us and, and, and we, we don't appreciate what it is. Now, here's the amazing thing, is that these Israelites, I mean, they weren't as fancy as these bricks. This was their life. These bricks were their life. They were slaves to these bricks. Every single day, their entire life, they laid bricks. And they took these bricks and they taught their kids how to lay bricks. And those kids taught their kids how to lay bricks. There was generations of slavery. Generations of not resting. And one day God says, I'm going to free you and I'm going to, in a sense, let you lay your bricks down. And so quickly, they lifted up other bricks. They weren't physical bricks, but they were bricks of worry, of anxiety, of distrust. 
And the truth is that every single one of you is just as enslaved as the nation of Israel. That there are bricks that you carry around in your life that are your master. That whether you are paid for a job or not, whether you have a nine-to-five job or not, whether you are on vacation or not, there is one thing that you can't shake. There is one thing that you can't put down. These are heavy. I'm already shaken. But there's things in your life that are exhausting because you have yet to lay them down. Your parents' expectations of what you would do with your life. The perfect reputation that you're striving to have. Living in the neighborhood that you think you deserve. Having the perfect health. Driving the perfect car. Having the perfect reputation. You see, every single one of us has a brick that we are carrying in our life that we've become so enslaved to that we've actually forgotten the fact that God calls us to freedom. Do you think that 429 years into slavery, they woke up every day and said, gosh, I can't believe I'm still enslaved. No, it was life. They didn't know anything better. And many of us don't know anything better than the anxiety and the stress and the overwork and the overcommitment, the inability to say no, the inability to actually rest, the inability to actually relax. And God has come and he says, remember, through Jesus Christ, I have set you free. So lay down those bricks of anxiety. Lay down those bricks of always having to be in control. Lay down those bricks of always having to be on and knowing what's going on in the world and always getting the feeds coming into your phone. Lay down for a second and rest in the fact that I have rescued you. Now rest in that. You see, that is a posture that unless you take that posture, the practices that I'm about to share with you won't mean anything. That's the first one, to remember that we have been rescued. Scripture says when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are cast out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we are rescued from this life of sin, that we are set free for his purposes, that God, Philippians 1, 6, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's the first part, to remember that you've been rescued. And the second is this, to remember to release control. You see, we need a rhythm of our lives to get to a place where the posture of our hearts and our minds reminds us that we aren't God, but God is. That ultimately, I'm not the one who gives myself peace or security or joy or significance or satisfaction, but ultimately, only God can do that. And if we take a posture of our hearts to remember, to release control, that we don't have to have the perfect presentation in order to be loved, to be secure, to find peace. That we can actually release control from having our kids act perfectly at the birthday party. You see, so much of our life is taking back control. We need to be reminded that we are out of control, and that's okay if we release the control to the one who loves us, who knows us, who cares for us. That's the second posture. And when you bring those postures of your heart and your mind into these three practices, it changes everything. The first practice is this. It's to play to go fishing, to go skiing, to listen to music, to watch a sunset, to go to the park, to sit down and drink your favorite cup of coffee, to try art, to ride a bicycle, to go on a walk, 
to run for 35 miles. Some of you, that's play. But unless you remember that you've been rescued and you need to release control, then your play will never give you rest. Have you seen somebody who is entitled? Have you ever watched someone who is entitled playing? Oh, the snow at the resort is never good enough. This salmon, oh, is not good enough. That music, I don't like that recording. I like the one over there better. You see, people who forget that they've been rescued, who forget that they need to release control, who think that they are entitled to play, will actually never rest in their play. There will be anxiety. There will always be the need for more. There will always be something that never truly satisfies. You see, you have to have a posture of remembering in order to truly find that rest and plain. But the second one is this, that we need to worship. That's a practice. And yes, we can worship throughout the week, but when we gather and worship together as a community, what we're doing is we can actually bring a posture of remembering that we've been rescued. And the reason why we preach, the reason why we sing songs, the reason why we pray, the reason why we recite the Apostles' Creed, the reason why we greet one another, the reason why we confess our brokenness, the reason why we gather at the table, the reason why we have baptisms is so that we can collectively remember better together. I need you and you need me to remember who God is. We need the choir, we need Dan, we need Kendall, we need each other. We need the little babies getting baptized to remind us that we have been rescued, to remind us that we need to release control. But if we don't come with that posture of remembering, we can quickly come into worship and start judging and critiquing and saying, ah, oh, that didn't fill me up. I don't like that illustration, Drew. I like it better the way you said it that way or this way or that way or the other person did it. I don't like the key of that hymn. Dan, come on. Kendall, I don't like that song. Come on. And it's so easy for us to not rest as we gather and worship. It begins with that posture of remembering that we've been rescued and remembering to release control. And the final one is this. It's to do nothing. To not play. To not schedule another dinner with friends. To not fill up every minute with play dates, with soccer practice, with piano lessons. It's not about filling up every minute with reading your favorite Dallas Willard book or serving. It's actually being still. But unless you come with a posture of remembering that you've been rescued, and unless you come with a posture of releasing control, you'll never be able to be still. You'll be like me. What do I need to be doing? This isn't productive. What emails can I respond to? What should I be reading? What should I be writing? What should I do? You see, if you're still long enough, if you worship long enough, if you play long enough with a posture of remembering that you've been rescued and you remember that you can release control because your God has you. He holds you. He provides for you. He knows everything that you need. He's provided it for you. He's got you. He's got your back. Then you'll never be like Rocky 
Remember Rocky Balboa? They asked him, Rocky, why, why are you doing this? Why are you training so hard? Why are you fighting? I mean, why, why, why? Rocky won. Phenomenal movie. And I'm not even going to do the, the impersonation. But he says, I got to go the distance, you know? I'm not, I, I tiptoed into it. I'm not going to do it. And he says, I got to go the distance. And if I go the distance, then I'll know I'm not a bum. He had his sights set that if he could go the, the distance with Apollo Creed 12 rounds, if he, could make, if he could do that, then he knew that he wasn't a bum. And what happened? He went the distance. And then what happened? Then there was Rocky II, and Rocky III, and Rocky IV, and Rocky V. Because why? Because going the distance wasn't enough. He went the distance in his own strength. You get the job, you get the promotion, you finally make retirement, you finally begin vacation, you try to find peace and restoration and significance in your own thing, and there's going to be sequels, and they're going to get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> but when you actually rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, when you remember that you're not a bum, because he was restless on the cross for you, that he was wicked on the cross for you. God looks at you and says, my child, you are precious, you are beloved, you are my masterpiece. You are my people. That's why we gather. That's why we Sabbath, to be put back together. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of showing up. But let's practice that this week, to have a posture of remembering that we've been rescued, that we need to release control, and then let's practice playing, worshiping, and doing nothing. And let's learn from one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment that you remind us that you have come for our rescue. You haven't come just to be a distraction or a nice thing to add on to other things. You have come for our rescue. So God, would your spirit use this moment to remind us of that truth, that we need rescue, that there are things that enslave us, there are things that cause us to never be at rest. May we see in those things that you have come to rescue us from. May we hold on tight, not to our work, but to your finished work on the cross. We thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen.